When you stop and think about all that's going on here in the good old USA today, you might think that there are only two sides to every story. With over 327 million citizens, there are actually many more sides to our American story. On this program, I provide you with a different point of view, mine. This is The Truth Hurts, a program where I exercise my First Amendment right to free speech by providing you with information. Hopefully, you will absorb this knowledge, stop, and actually think about the issues, the facts, and the general state of our American story. I'm Steve Z, and this is The Truth Hurts Program. I'd like to get started today, the 22nd day of July, Hump Day, Wednesday, by saying they're at it again. We're going to talk about the end of the $600 stay-at-home bonus check from unemployment right after this. You are listening to the Truth Hurts program. Opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Here's your host, Steve Z. This morning when I turned on the old interwebs, I was treated to a New York Times article written by Ben Castleman. The title of the article is, End of $600 Unemployment Bonus Could Push Millions Past the Brink. I was surprised that the New York Times editors were asleep at the wheel and let the word bonus slip through. Because, after all, if you were only making $300 a week at your job, and corona caused your job to let you go, now you're making double that just in the bonus, plus you're probably also making whatever your state issues as its normal unemployment benefit to you based on your income. So that equates to about $2,400 a month in extra money that you're receiving as a result of the unemployment bonus. Well, that's getting ready to come to an end. The article says, When millions of Americans began losing their jobs in March, the federal government stepped in with a life preserver, $600 a week in extra unemployment benefits to allow workers to pay rent and buy groceries and to cushion the economy. Stop. They actually admitted in this article that the federal government, headed by Donald J. Trump, the President of the United States, stepped in early in March with a life preserver. But I thought Trump didn't care. I thought Trump was hurting people. We'll continue with the article. With economic conditions again deteriorating, that life preserver will disappear within days if Congress doesn't act to extend it. That could prompt a wave of evictions and inflict more financial harm on millions of Americans while further damaging the economy. Even the threat of a lapse in benefits could prove harmful, economists warn, by forcing households to make precautionary spending cuts. Stop. Well, 
I know that if there was no coronavirus and I lost my job for whatever reason and had to go on unemployment, first, I would not be receiving a $600 bonus on top of my unemployment benefits. Secondly, I would be out there looking for a damn job. But instead of looking for jobs, and by the way, there are plenty of jobs out there. But instead of looking for a job, I get to sit home, make my unemployment plus an additional $600 per week bonus. Why the hell would I get off the couch? Oh yeah, to go riot, protest, and loot, and burn, and shoot, and assault. The benefits program, according to this article, the benefits program, the Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation, you know, the bonus, expires at the end of July. And since today is July 22nd, that's about another week. Because of a quirk in the calendar, workers in most states won't qualify for the premiums after this week. Most will be left with their regular unemployment benefits, which usually only total a couple of hundred bucks in many states. Well, boo-hoo-hoo, why should you be getting a bonus to stay home from work just because your state has failed to properly prepare for, plan for, and provide for you during a pandemic? The article goes on to say, that means that more than 20 million Americans could soon see their weekly income fall by half or more at a time when the unemployment rate remains higher than any period since World War II. Economists warn that it isn't just individual recipients of the unemployment bonus who will suffer if benefits are cut. The federal payments, you know, the bonus portion, injects billions of dollars into the economy each week, and that money flows to landlords, grocery stores, retailers, and countless other businesses. Stop. Your unemployment benefits, your regular unemployment benefits, are supposed to help you get through the tough times while you are unemployed and doing what? While you are out looking for another job. Which, as I said before, there are plenty out there. Here's an example. Yesterday, while driving through the suburban area around New Orleans, I saw signs at Arby's, McDonald's, Burger King, Home Depot, Lowe's, two garden centers, an Ace Hardware store, and a Jiffy Lube. And all of them said, now hiring. The least pay rate I saw, the lowest pay rate that I saw on these help wanted signs was $10 an hour. Several were 12. So if you do the math, 40 hours a week times 10 is $400 a week, which is probably more than you were making before you got laid off. Sure, it's less than the $600 bonus, but the bonus was not intended to last forever and should have never been put into place to begin with. So you could go to work tomorrow at Home Depot, Lowe's, Ace Hardware, Jiffy Lube, countless fast food restaurants. I even saw a hardware store other than Ace, and I can't remember the name of it. But I, either way, there are jobs out there for people who are willing to work. Back to the article. 
Ernie Tedeschi, former Treasury Department official and an economist at Evercore ISA Research, estimates that if these bonus payments stop, the U.S. gross domestic product could be 2% smaller at the end of this year, and there could be 1.7 million fewer jobs nationwide. This man's an economist. He's obviously an idiot because how could there be 1.7 million fewer jobs nationwide if the government stops paying people to stay home? I guess if people stop spending that extra 600 on an extra night out or on an extra television or an extra this or that, some of the companies might lay off a few people, but that is not sound economic logic. Joseph Vavra, University of Chicago economist who's been studying the impact of these bonus benefits, says, These unemployment benefit checks are really doing a large job in propping up spending by these unemployed households. There's a good chance that what is now an unemployment problem will become a foreclosure crisis and an eviction crisis. Well, instead of spending your bonus money on a new TV or an extra night out, or an extra meal out, or whatever the hell you've been spending it on, wouldn't you think that if your actual job had gone away and you got bonus money, you'd be socking that money away to help you until you can get back to work? Are people really, really that stupid? The article goes on to say, Congress returned from recess this week to consider a new relief package which could include at least a partial extension of the extra unemployment benefits. Senate Republicans in the White House are considering a roughly $1 trillion package that would retain the program, however, scale it back. Democrats, of course, are pressing to continue paying the full $600 bonus each week. There's no incentive for anyone to go back to work if they're getting $600 extra on top of their unemployment to stay home. But Democrats don't care because in their press for socialism, in their press for communism, in their press for Marxism, they love printing money and paying people to stay home where those people can go out and riot and loot. Congress does, however, seem unlikely to be able to act before the benefits lapse. And because of the antiquated computer systems in many of the state's unemployment offices that do the actual processing, it may take weeks to restart the payments, which would mean millions will likely see their income drop, at least temporarily. Well, you should be saving your money. You should not be depending on that extra $600 a week. It is never was never and shall never be intended to go on forever and ever. Unless, of course, Andrew Yang was elected president, and then it would be a thousand a week. Jesus, when will these people grow up? For people depending on the checks, the article says, the uncertainty is frustrating. Jacob Perlman, a benefits recipient in Chicago, said... I have no idea why Congress would wait until just a few days before the checks are going to run out. This should have been done a month ago. He's 26. He earns $12 an hour as a housekeeper at a fitness club, making him one of the millions of Americans earning more on unemployment than when he had a job. He claims he's eager to return to work. Yeah. He says the jobs simply aren't there right now. 
I call bullshit. The jobs are there. Home Depot's hiring. Lowe's is hiring. McDonald's is hiring. Mr. Perlman may think that that might be a step down for him from being a housekeeper at a fitness club. His regular benefits from the state of Illinois, the regular unemployment that he's entitled to, is $159 a week. He claims that's barely enough to cover his $500 a month share of his monthly rent, let alone food and other expenses, so he's already trying to save as much as possible. Well, good. At least he has that much of common sense. This article goes on to say, decisions like Mr. Perlman's to curtail spending even before the benefits expired, multiplied across millions of households, are a sort of uncertainty tax on the broader economy, damping the stimulative effect of the payments. Do you believe this? His decision to stop spending, to cut back, which is what you're supposed to do if you're unemployed, multiplied across a million households, or millions of households, are a sort of uncertainty tax on the broader economy. Are you kidding me? David Wilcox, a former Federal Reserve official, now an economist at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, says, there are people who are on the precipice of financial disaster here. We may think that the odds are that Congress will come to a reasonable conclusion, but for a person who is on the precipice of financial disaster, it's very low comfort to be told, you know, I think there's a 70% chance that this is going to work out fine, unquote. We'll go to the racial implications after this. Putting things into perspective and doing it with style. This is the Truth Hurts program. Here's your host, Steve Z. The New York Times article goes on to say the risk is particularly acute for black and Latino workers who have been disproportionately affected by job losses and are less likely to have savings or other assets to fall back on. Stop. I am so sick to my gut of hearing about the disproportionately affected black and Latino workers. Number one, get an education. We offer public school education in the United States for as far back as anyone can remember. A, B, C, D, E, F, G are the first letters of the alphabet. C-A-T spells cat. D-O-G spells dog. One plus one is two. Two times two is four. That is true whether you are black or Latino or Asian or white. Whether you think you're privileged or if you think you're oppressed, those facts remain. If you do well in school because you apply yourself and you study and you work hard to get good grades, it does not matter what color your skin is. If you go to work for a company and you do a good job, you will be promoted based on what you accomplish at the job. If you have a shitty attitude, if you're disrespectful, if you are lazy, if you refuse to do what you are told, if you constantly give attitude and question every single time you are told to do something, if you make an ass of yourself, you will not get promoted. 
And that is also true whether you are black or Latino or Asian or white or anything else. This bullshit about being disproportionately affected by job losses is just that. Bullshit. If there are a hundred people and 13 of them are black and 16 of them are Latino and five of them are Asian and the rest of them make up the Italian, the German, the Russian, the Spanish, what have you, the European white. That is because that is the demographic makeup of the United States of America. 13% of the country is black. 16% of the country is Latino. 5% of the country, approximately, is Asian. The rest are white. Deal with it. That's the way the numbers work out. So to be truly fair, every business with 100 employees should have 13 black, 16 Latino, 5 Asian, and the remaining number white. There's no disproportionality there. It's simple math. Quit the lie about the disproportionate effects. Back to the article. A recent working paper from the researchers at the University of Chicago and the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute found that black and Latino households cut spending by far more than white households when their income drops. Well, that to me means they're smarter than white folks. They're cutting their spending more than when whites do. That should mean they should still have more money left at the end of their paycheck. William Spriggs, a Howard University professor, the chief economist for the AFL-CIO unions, says, when 30% of your population has no wealth, it has real implications. There isn't a piggy bank. This is it. So when you cut their benefits, their drop in consumption is going to be huge. Well, duh. Thank you, doctor, for pointing out the obvious. If you make less money, then perhaps you should try to improve yourself so that you can earn a pay increase when you are working. The article goes on to say the extra unemployment payments were part of a multi-trillion dollar federal response to the pandemic's economic devastation. Congress expanded eligibility for unemployment benefits and food stamps and sent $1,200 checks to most households and even offered forgivable loans to millions of small businesses. Yet. Yet, they claim the Trump administration failed to respond. But here's proof that they did. Back to the article. Together, those programs did much to offset the damage. Average personal income rose in April, the worst month of the crisis to date, and consumer spending rebounded quickly once the federal freebies started flowing into the economy. Mortgage delinquencies, credit card defaults, and other signs of financial stress rose by less than many forecasters had initially feared. The article goes on to say, when Congress created the various programs, it still seemed possible that the pandemic would have begun to ebb by summer and that the economy would no longer need as much federal help. But instead, after falling steadily in May and June, virus cases are rising in much of the country and states are reimposing business restrictions. Real-time measures suggest that the economy recovery that began in May 
has begun to lose momentum, and some economists expect the unemployment rate to begin climbing again. Now, of course, they have to bash the Republicans in their article. The threat of an economic stall has led some Republicans in Washington to embrace a more aggressive federal action than they were considering a few weeks ago. Larry Kudlow, a top economic advisor to Trump and a critic of the $600 payments, said this week there was no way Republicans should allow the benefits to expire entirely. So, here's my thought. If you were making $600 a week before, unemployment would probably grant you $300. Perhaps the federal government should consider making up just the difference in what unemployment would pay you and what, you know, the difference, the, uh, the difference would be. I'm sorry. But they love giving away bonus money. And that's not right. Okay. Michelle Evermore, a senior policy analyst for the National Employment Law Project, says... When that $600 goes away, people who live week to week, paycheck to paycheck, they're suddenly going to be unable to pay basic expenses and will be desperate for work. Stop. They were obviously paying their rent before. So an extra $600 is not something they're entitled to. It's not something they should be receiving. It's extra money. That extra money should be going into the bank for savings so that when this temporary bonus program goes away, they have a little bit of extra money to continue paying their rent. Unbelievable. They also are now going to use the pandemic by saying cutting off benefits would also increase the spread of the virus by forcing people to take jobs in which they might be exposed to it or expose others to it. Unbelievable. The bottom line here, people, is you went to work for a company. You got laid off. For whatever reason, you have unemployment insurance, which pays you a portion of your paycheck so that you can go out and find a job. And as I pointed out, there are jobs out there. There should be no $600 bonus on top of your unemployment to entice you to stay home. Idle hands are the devil's workshop, after all. We'll be right back. Let's switch gears for a moment and talk about privilege. I always hear about how I, your host, am a benefit of privilege because I have a nice house and an RV and a couple of motorcycles, and a nice truck, and a four-wheeler, and a boat, and a set of golf clubs, and some weapons. I'm not privileged. I work every single day for what I have. My father, as you know, passed away when I was a young teenager. My mom was pregnant at the time and raised four boys on a secretary's income. I did not grow up wealthy. I had no silver spoon in my mouth. My family has not been the direct benefit of having descendants who owned slaves. 
I worked hard. I worked my way up from job to job to job and finally got to a position in my life where I could afford a few nice things. I didn't ask for handouts, welfare, food stamps, social security, supplemental income, WIC, crazy checks, or any of the other benefits available primarily to those in the minority community because they're just handed out based on the color of someone's skin. But when the color of someone's skin is peachy pale like mine, you have to jump through a lot more hoops if you wanted to ever receive any of those benefits. But let's talk about privilege for just a moment. Kanye West, who made his entire fortune rapping, shouting at people, he is truly privileged. Well, remember earlier in the week, Kanye West went on a Twitter rampage bashing Harriet Tubman, saying that she didn't help free slaves, she just helped them to go work for other white people, among other controversial topics. That and his on-again, off-again presidential bid. While he lives the lavish billionaire lifestyle, Kanye West is on the verge of a mental breakdown, privileged though he may be. According to Microsoft News, less than 24 hours after Kanye West's late-night tweet storm, a good friend jumped on a plane to travel halfway across the country to visit him. Another man with privilege, David Chappelle, a man who made his entire fortune bashing white people as a comedian, a comic, a jokester, a prankster, a man who used race as his crutch to success. On Tuesday afternoon, the article says the rapper, meaning Kanye West, posted a video with Dave Chappelle and other black friends from his ranch in Wyoming. The Twitter feed says, Thank you, Dave, for hopping on a jet to come see me doing well. Dave, you are a godsend and a true friend. Love, Kanye West. In the video, Kanye asks Dave, who lives in Ohio, to crack a joke. After Dave struggles to come up with an on-the-spot joke, Kanye encourages him to say something to, quote, uplift our spirits. An uplifting joke, Chappelle says? Now you know I don't write those. My whole point being, when you are an oppressed African-American minority in America, you should be able to proudly look up and say, well... One rich black guy jumped on an airplane to go see another rich black guy just to make sure he's doing okay. That, my friends, is privilege. That, my friends, is not any evidence to show that black folks are indeed oppressed. I'm searching for food for my pew-pew. Now, if you don't know what that means... You're obviously over the age of 30. Pew-pew means gun. Food for your pew-pew means bullets, ammo, ammunition. I've been on a three-week hunt to replenish my supply of 9mm handgun ammunition. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to find. Now, I want to hearken your memories back to a time when Barack Hussein Obama was the president of the United States and gropey Joe Biden was the vice president. 
All of these so-called gun nuts and wackos, you know, people like me, were in fear that the gun industry was going to be shut down by the Obama administration and by the Democrat-controlled Congress. And even, I remember Obama saying, we may not be able to stop you from owning a gun, but we damn sure can stop you from getting ammunition. And he threatened to cut off ammo, threatened to punish ammunition manufacturers. Everybody went out and crashed the stores to buy whatever they could get their grubby little hands on. Well, now we have Donald J. Trump in the White House, and I can't find 9mm ammo to save my f- behind. Be nice. It's a family show. I've searched Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, Academy Sports and Outdoors, nine local gun shops. I've even gone online to places like Cheaper Than Dirt and Ammo.com, and I cannot find 9mm ammo. This begs the question. Why the hell not? Is it because everyone is now stocking up and supplying for home defense and protection against the rioters, the looters, the anarchists, the property destroyers? Or is there some insidious behind-the-scenes plan by the government to curtail the availability of ammo? I'm looking for answers, so if you know me, Please reach out and let me know why you think there is no 9mm ammo. And if you happen to find a supplier that can get some, please let me know. Watch your wallets, everyone. With the increase in Joe Biden's polling numbers, many economists are now fearing a massive decline in the United States economy should the Democrat candidate rise to the White House, and even more gloom and doom is predicted by financial experts worldwide if the House of Representatives and Senate both are Democrat-controlled. A Democrat Senate, Democrat House, and Democrat Presidency will most certainly signal a much, much lower number in the overall economic numbers. According to policy experts, they say a Trump re-election would likely result in lower corporate taxes in his second term and the likelihood of making permanent certain provisions of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that are scheduled to expire in 2025. A Trump presidency re-election would be more likely to ease the financial burdens on companies and corporations in order to stimulate economic growth. By contrast, Biden is more inclined to raise corporate tax rates while prioritizing broad-based spending initiatives around the expansion of health care coverage, the boosting of minimum wages, and providing more federal support for housing and education, which would of course result in higher taxes on all Americans. Noting that higher taxes on corporations and the wealthy are integral to progressive Democrat policy, there will be a decline in the overall U.S. economic numbers. Even if tax rates go back to the pre-17 levels, a longer tail for enhanced unemployment benefits will mean higher pre-tax income than if the benefits were to run out sooner. Bottom line, at this point in the economic cycle, being depressed with high uncertainty, equity holders 
people who have stocks and bonds, might actually welcome a Trump re-election. We'll have to see. I'm watching my stocks on an hour-by-hour basis. But it means nothing if the government continues to print money like toilet paper and the overall value of the U.S. dollar continues to drop. Watch your wallets, people. It's going to be a long ride. Finally, someone is saying what we have all been thinking. Steve Z, telling it like it is. And finally this morning, the November presidential election is just about four months away. A little over 100 days left before America decides whether they want to keep Donald Trump, a proven leader, or elect a senile old man. I want people to put aside any thoughts about polling numbers. Remember, the polls had Hillary Clinton winning in a landslide over Donald Trump four years ago at this point during the campaign. So I'll say this, and I'll probably piss off half of you with what I'm about to say, but here goes. I personally do not like Donald Trump as a person. I think he's brash, arrogant, egotistical, narcissistic, self-centered, and above all, a control freak. But those are not exactly bad qualities when it comes to being a leader. As a person, I'm sure Donald Trump would not give me the time of day being a regular American. I don't drive a fancy exotic car, I don't live in a lavish estate, I don't hobnob with the celebrities or play golf with professional athletes, I don't do lunch at the club, I don't have a yacht. I don't like Donald Trump as a person, but he has something that gropey Joe Biden does not have, never had, and never will have, a personality coupled with decades of actual, hands-on, bona fide business management experience, and America is a business. Donald Trump has run multi-billion dollar business enterprises successfully. He knows how to negotiate. He knows how to make things work. Joe Biden has run nothing but his mouth, often unsuccessfully. Joe Biden has been, is, and always will be a follower, not a leader. He never was. Tell me one successful enterprise that Joe Biden has ever been involved in. Crickets chirping. He always has been on the government dole his entire career. He spent eight years licking the boots of Barack Hussein Obama and was kept out of the limelight simply because of his inability to A, make sound judgment decisions, B, his constant lies and gaffes and inaccurate statements, and C, his phony tough guy persona that he needs to constantly point out in order to make himself feel like a man. His constant name-calling of common citizens during campaign rallies was quite obvious when he called someone a pony soldier or when he made references to Corn Pop, the tough kid at the swimming pool, when he wore pomade and hair gel. And, of course, his loving 
the fact that the little black kids used to come and rub his hairy blonde legs in the swimming pool and his video and his photographic record of fondling little eight-year-old girls' chests. His hair sniffing, his inability to remember where he is from day to day or even what office he's running for. The list goes on and on and on. Just remember, folks, this election in November is about leadership. It's about personality. It's about choosing between a proven leader and a proven dementia patient. It's about you choosing to stand behind a president who proved that he could make an economy great again, who proved that he could reduce unemployment numbers and minority unemployment numbers until, of course, the great Wu flu created havoc. And even during the pandemic, the nation continues to operate only slightly depressed. And if you choose corn pop, pomade, pony soldier, name-calling, excuse-making, whipping boy Joe Biden, it could all come crashing down. And that's the truth on this Tuesday, July 22nd, 2020. And as always, my friends, sometimes the truth hurts. You could spend time in traffic listening to some biased local or national talk show. You could listen to that same song one more time. You could engage in mundane conversation with your carpool buddy. Or you could even sit there quietly pondering the meaning of life. Boring. How about listening to the Truth Hurts program with me, Steve Z? I provide some welcome distraction from the canned scripts of the national networks. And I talk about the real issues of today. Best of all, it's free, and you can listen anytime on Anchor, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Breaker, Spotify, Overcast, or many others. Or simply type in The Truth Hurts Steve Z into your web browser, and you can listen to all of what you know you're thinking right on your computer or smartphone. It's like having that conversation around the water cooler without the leaky water cooler. You have been listening to the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Hopefully, we've provided you with engaging, enlightening, and educational information that will allow you to make informed decisions. I know you may not necessarily agree with everything I say, but that's okay in America. The right to express your opinion is guaranteed in the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Just as I respect your right to your opinion, I expect you to respect my right to my opinion. That's how it works. When all is said and done, usually more is said than is ever done. So if you are actually going to go out and do something today, please make it a worthwhile endeavor. Until next time, this is The Truth Hurts Program 